This is the Relic Radio Show, old-time radio entertainment still standing the test of time from RelicRadio.com. Welcome back to the Relic Radio Show. This week we begin with the sixth shooter. We'll hear Britt Ponson's Christmas Carol, their episode from December 20th, 1953. After that, it's suspense and Arctic Rescue. That story aired December 22nd, 1952. Here's a last-minute Christmas shopping suggestion. Jingle bells, jingle bells, bells of NBC. Oh, what joy to cook and bake while listening merrily. Pots and pans, sink and stove, work goes easily. Kitchens ring with happy chimes when tuned to NBC. What will you hear in your kitchen after Christmas? Bacon sizzling, coffee perking, dishes clinking, and, if you're lucky, a new sound. NBC Radio listening on that new set. The perfect gift to lighten mother's long hours in the kitchen. Kitchens ring with happy chimes when tuned to NBC. James Stewart as the six shooter. The man in the saddle is angular and long legged. His skin is sun-dyed brown. The gun in his holster is gray steel and rainbow mother of pearl, its handle unmarked. People call them both the six-shooter. The NBC Radio Network presents James Stewart as the six-shooter, a transcribed series of radio dramas based on the life of Britt Ponsett, the Texas plainsman, who wandered through the Western territories, leaving behind a trail of still-remembered legends. There was a nip in the air, not a freezing, biting, angry nip, but a sort of tingle that made the morning stars shimmer and swung them out of their orbits a little closer to the Earth. Oh, it was a winter nip, all right, but not a hard winter. Not a winter when the cattle would come down from the high places, poking their noses into the ice-encrusted ground. It was a mild winter nip. Mild enough so that the breath of the boy on the pinto turned only a faint gray as he rode toward the campfire where the man was sitting. Howdy. Hello, mister. I see your fire. I thought maybe you wouldn't mind if I gave my pony a chance to warm up. Sure, sure. Myself home. You heading for Thompson's Corners, mister? That's right. I just came from there. Oh, well, you must have been riding all night. Just about. You see, I'm running away from home. Oh, that's all. Ah. Seems kind of a funny thing you'd pick this time of year to run away. So close to Christmas, I mean. I hate Christmas. Oh? It's just for kids, anyhow. Well... I heard Aunt Louie say so. Christmas is for children. That's what she said. Johnny's old enough to do without all that fuss and nonsense. I heard her tell Mr. Franklin that. Oh, you don't live with your folks, huh, Johnny? No, sir. He died about eight months ago. Oh, I see. Christmas was all right when they... When I was with them. Of course, I was a lot younger then. Oh, yes, yes. It just beats me the way folks take Christmas so serious. 
Well, I don't know. Is it getting presents made any difference? As if I really cared about that knife. Well, is that what you wanted, a, a pocket knife? I don't want a knife. I don't want anything. I just wish there wasn't any Christmas, that's all. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I guess you aren't the first person to feel that way. You know, it seems to me... Seems to me I remember reading a story once about a fellow felt the same way about Christmas you do. Just didn't have any use for it. What happened to you? Well, I, I doubt if I can call it to mind after all this time, but as I recollect... Now, now mind you, this may not be word for word, uh, but as I recollect, the man that it was about, the one that hated Christmas, that is, well, he he was a real skin flint, he was. He, just as stingy as they come. Yeah, uh, his name was, uh, let me see, was Eben, something like that. Eben? Eben, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure that was it. Well, being so tight-fisted, this fellow Eben, he, he got to be the richest man in the whole territory. He owned a ranch? Oh, sure, sure. Had, had four of them. Four ranches and store buildings and farms and maybe a bank or two. He was rich. I bet he had a mighty fine ranch house. No. No, no, he didn't have a ranch house. Evan wasn't the sort to spend money on a ranch house unless there was profit in it. He he just lived alone in town, had himself a steady room at the hotel. Well, anyway, one night while Evan was sitting in his room having supper, Christmas Eve it was, well, on this particular Christmas Eve, his only kin, a nephew, lived in the same town. He, he stopped by the hotel. To wish you a Merry Christmas, Uncle, and invite you to our place for dinner tomorrow. Christmas, fiddlesticks. Calderon! I suppose you'd be closing up your livery stable for the occasion. Why, sure, Uncle Eb. And just how are the horses know it's Christmas? Answer me that. <laughs> well, if they don't know it, we will. Can I tell Sally to expect you at three? You can expect me all you like, but I ain't coming. Not at three or any other time. Oh, if you're making so much money, you can afford to be giving parties. Maybe I ought to think about raising the rents on the Louvre Sale. Well, now, Uncle Oh, go on, get out of here before I lose my temper. All this nonsense about Christmas. Fiddlesticks. Oh, Well, after that, Johnny, the nephew didn't stick around there. He got out of Evan's hotel room in a regular gallop. I wasn't very long before Evan had another visitor. He's a young fella, tall, lanky, not very good at speaking. He... This plain, ordinary cowpoke. It was the foreman of the S&M ranch. Oh, well, it took you long enough to get here. Where have you been? Selling off some of my herd without telling me about it? No, sir. That day you rode by, I was out in the range hunting straight. And a good thing I decided to check up on you, too. What's that cabin doing over by Holly Creek? And who are those people staying there? They're my family. I, I built the shack for them myself. I'm not going to have a bunch of nesters in my property. Tear it down. Well, one of my boys has been sick. I, I can't afford That's to rent it. That's my concern. It's up to you to keep your family and what you earn. So see that you get rid of that shack tomorrow. But tomorrow's Christmas. Oh, oh, well. Then you'll have plenty of free time to tear it down. I'll be out the day after to make sure you've done it. Good night. I wasn't much use in argument. Quorum knew that. So he put on his hat and shuffled out. Now, Evan was alone again. At least he thought he was alone. The clock on the mantel started striking eight, and that's another time for him to turn in. Oh, my 
Sergeant. So he put on his flannel nightshirt and reached for the kerosene lamp to set it on the stool beside the bed. And, and right about then, the strangest thing happened. It went... What's in time, is Johnny, old Eben saw a man's face looking right at him from inside that lamp. Eyes and hair and nose and mouth, whiskers, all, all just as plain as day. Jake! It was old Jake, Eben's partner. There wasn't any mistake about it at all. It was Jake right to a T. Well, Eben sure didn't like the idea of having Jake right in the same room with him. You see, Jake had been dead for over seven years. Not that Eben really believed in ghosts or haunts or anything like that. He told himself he was just imagining all this. I got to get a hold of myself. He, he put out his hand to turn down the wick, but all of a sudden his fingers started trembling. There was Jake again, across the room this time, standing right by the bureau. No! And when the lamp slipped out of Eben's hand, the, the room didn't get dark at all. Jake seemed to be surrounded by a splotch of bright yellow light, and he was wearing the same boots and breeches and leather jacket that he'd had on seven years ago, the, the day he died. But as Jake came closer, Evan could see that he was wearing something else. A small leather saddle strapped across his back, and hanging down from it were two saddlebags stuffed so full of gold nuggets and mortgage papers and land grants that Jake could hardly drag him across the floor. You recognize me, Evan? Oh, sure, Jake. Why, sure, I'd never forget you, but well, what are you doing here? <laughs> and why are you wearing that get-up? Always thinking about land and money. Always scheming and conniving. That's why I wear it. And that's why I've come to warn you, Evan. The saddle you're fixing up for yourself is even heavier than mine. But I don't know what you mean, Jake. I ain't done no wrong. I ain't never done folks no wrong. Have you ever done them any good? Any good at all? Oh, why, sure. I've worked hard. I've saved my money. I ain't been a burden on anybody. Why, you should see our ranches, Jake. Oh, the way I've built them up. I have seen them many times. And I've seen a lot more than that, too. That's my punishment. To spend eternity traveling around, seeing mankind with its trials and tribulations, with its joys and hopes. Is that so terrible? Oh, Evan, to watch him and not be able to help him. You'll find out how terrible it is. You'll find out. Well, there must be some way of avoiding this. Uh, you always were, my friend. Jake, tell me what to do. Evan, you've got to find out for yourself. But how? Tonight. At one o'clock, you'll be haunted by a ghost. Another ghost? Pay him heed, Evan. Pay him some heed. Wait, Jake. Don't leave me without it. Jake. The yellow light sort of faded away and the ghost was gone. It was just like he hadn't even been there. And then... And then something caught the corner of Evan's eye. A little glimmer on the floor... And he bent over to pick it up. A gold nugget. Now, where on earth did And then he remembered. Those saddlebags of Jake's, they'd been filled clear to the brim with gold nuggets. We're interrupting our story for only a moment. 
and only to tell you, our unseen audience, that you have helped more than you may realize to make this a very Merry Christmas for all of us on this program. Your being with us each week, your many kind letters, have told us that all the work that goes into bringing you the six-shooter has not been in vain, and we're grateful. So, friends, from all of us, Jimmy Stewart and the cast, our writer, our director, engineers, and sound technicians, our best wishes for a happy holiday season. Oh, yes, and before I forget it, beginning December 31st, the six-shooter will be on the air on Thursdays instead of Sundays. That's beginning Thursday the 31st. The time of broadcast will be listed in your local newspaper. Thank you. Now, Act Two of The Six Shooter, starring James Stewart as Britt Ponce. Jake's ghost really had been there, mister? Yeah, there just wasn't any doubt about it, Johnny. Well, what happened then? Did the other spook turn up? The one Jake said was coming to see Evan? Oh, sure, Johnny, sure, yeah. He was right on time, too. Evan was lying in bed, wide awake, of course. He hadn't been able to do much sleep, and he's too scared. You know? It was kind of peculiar. Evan was half scared the ghost would come and half scared he wouldn't, you see. But before the sound of the clock had died away, there he was. He's sitting in Evan's rocking chair like he'd been there all night long. And and this ghost was a was a young fellow, oh maybe eighteen, nineteen, all dooted up the way young bucks like to dress, you know, fancy shaps and checkered shirt and a red bandana tied around his neck. Howdy, Evan. Reckon you've been expecting. Here when I I, I guess so. You ready to take a little trip? Where to? Back. Way back through the years. Oh, but how can I go with It's you? real easy. You see, I'm the ghost of Christmas past. Your past, Evan. Let's shove on. Well, the next thing Evan knew, he and that ghost were standing out on a snow-covered prairie. There was a circle of covered wagons in front of them, and... The people from the wagons were gathered together and listening to a tall, white-bearded man. He was in the Bible. Great joy, which will be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto and you. you shall find a baby the ghost turned and pointed to a boy sitting away from the others on the tailboard of one of the wagons. Small boy, oh, about ten years old with hollow cheeks and his eyes all red from crying. Oh, oh no. It was, it was Evan himself on a Christmas day a long, long time ago. Not a very happy Christmas either. It was only a week since the oxen had stampeded and his ma had been killed when she, she fell from the wagon. His pa had died with an Apache arrow in his chest. No, I, I don't want to look at him anymore, can't you... Show me another Christmas. Well, it was no sooner said than done. Now, Evan and the ghost were in a bunkhouse. And Evan saw himself again. Oh, he's ten years older than the boy on the prairie, but he was lying on a blanket staring up at the ceiling. And then his pal, Jay, came running in, all out of breath. Come on, Ev. Get a clean shirt on. We got us an invite to a party. Huh? Yeah, the boss is throwing a big shindig. He says he'll fire us if we don't show up. (laughs) 
Heaven couldn't help remembering that party. Oh, the roast beef and the baked ham and square dancing and the pretty girls in their calico. He couldn't help saying out loud to the ghost. Oh, dear. How I wish I... What was that, Evan? Nothing, Mr. Spurry. Nothing, I... I was just remembering how I treated my foreman today. That's all. After that, the ghost took Evan to three or four more of his old Christmases. And none of them were very happy. Especially that Christmas when the young school mom, sitting on the horsehair sofa, had unwrapped the tiny box Evan gave her and then handed it back to him. It's a lovely ring, Evan. But I can't wear it. Well, you're, you're not caught in somebody else. No, Evan. But you are. You're caught in something else. Bill. Land and money, cattle, profits. They mean more to you than I ever would. I'm sorry. Mr. Ghost, no more of the past. Please, I've seen enough. A man wants to forget. Sure, Evan, whatever you say. And before Evan could blink his eyes, he was right back in the hotel room. But once he got there, he he blinked real hard because all of a sudden the ghost was becoming a different person. He was getting fatter, and his stomach popped out two or three inches, and a few wrinkles creased his cheeks, and finally his chaps turned into a shiny blue serge suit with a heavy gold chain dangling across the vest. Hey, well, what's happened to you? Why are you so different now? You seem to be getting tired of the past, so I thought we might take a gander at the present. If you've got no objection. Well, the hotel room just melted away, and Evan was looking at that cabin his foreman had built on Holly Creek. <laughs> well, that cabin sure was crowded. Oh, there must have been five or six children, all helping their mother get the Christmas dinner, all laughing and talking, as busy as summer cold. But when their father came in, he had a long face and a tired mouth, and... His wife looked up and wanted to know what was troubling him. Oh, I was thinking about old Evan. <laughs> it's not a very pleasant thought for Christmas, Bob. Uh, by the way, what did you want me to yesterday? Was it about this cabin? Hmm? Yeah. Oh, no, no, of course not. Well, let's get on with dinner. Sit down, everybody. Now, where's my gym, huh? Well, I guess we're just going to have to eat. And Bob looked all around the room. He, he was pre- pretending he didn't see the little fellow in the corner. The boy with an iron brace on his leg and a wooden crutch propped up against the wall. But little Tim, he wasn't going to be ignored. Here I am. So, Bob picked him up and carried him over to the table. God bless this food, this house, and us and our friends. Even old Evan. Amen. <laughs> they, uh... The family found that part about Evan a little hard to swallow, but they finally managed, and Tim was the last one to chime in. God bless us, everyone. Oh. <laughs> Evan didn't want to watch what was going on in that cabin any longer, but the next place the ghost showed him wasn't much easier on him. There was a big party going on at his nephew's house <laughs> back in the livery stable. And one of the ladies was blindfolded, you see. And, and she was trying to pin the tail onto a donkey. But, but there was something peculiar about this donkey, about the way it 
about the way it was drawn. It, it, it looked more like a person than an animal. Well, Eben recognized who it was supposed to be right off. <laughs> you see, folks, I invited Uncle Eben to be with us, but he turned me down flat. So I figured we'd have him here in spirit, if not in the flesh. <laughs> Right back in the hotel room again. That's where Evan found himself. Spirit. Spirit, you showed me the past and the present. What's left to see? The future, Evan. The future. And that's how Evan came to see a Christmas of the future. A cold, brittle Christmas. And there are two men standing on a street corner and the coat collars turned up so that keep out the snow. Oh, he's dead all right. This is a doornail. Sure is a Christmas present I never expected. At least whoever handles his property won't be as hard to deal with as he was. Wonder if they'll bother giving him a funeral. And in a frame house over on the side street in the edge of town, a woman was speaking to her husband. Funny. To me, he's been dead for years. Well, I haven't even thought of him since I don't know when. And yet, you know, once, well, once I was real fond of him. Funny, isn't it? Ghost! Who are they talking about? Those men on the street. That woman I used to know. Who is it that's dead? Tell me. And the ghost slowly turned and stretched out a long, thin, bony finger. And there, right at the end of that finger, was a tombstone, all covered with weeds. Eben could barely make out the name that was carved on it. Ebenezer Scrooge. No. No, no! Uh, uh, what's this? Uh, where am I? Where you know I? what? He was right in his own bed, in his own nightshirt, and the sun was streaming through the frosted windows. But Eben didn't stay there very long, not for very long. He got into his boots and trousers as fast as he could, and he dashed down the stairs, out into the street. Well, you see, the stores being closed gave Evan quite a problem. Well, he just have to make Fuzzy Wagner open the butcher shop up, that's all. Of course, Fuzzy didn't have much choice, seeing as how the shop was located in one of Evan's buildings. And when Evan told him what he wanted, a turkey and a ham... Well, no, 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 no. I'd better make it two hands and send them out to the cabin on the S&M ranch. <laughs> and they're not to know that I ordered them. You understand, Fuzzy? Here's the money and a little extra for your trouble. Well, before Fuzzy could get his jaw shut up again, Evan was on his way, and he headed right straight out to his nephew's house. And Evan was the life of the party, too. Well, the way he carried on, he's laughing and making jokes and telling stories on himself and... He insisted that they use that donkey with his face on yes, when they play games, you know. Yes, because that's what I've been all these years. A real four-footed, long-eared donkey. <laughs> the next morning, though, that's that's what Evan enjoyed the most. He was up bright and early and hitched the team to the buckboard and drove out to the S&M, hurrying the horses all the way. Come on, Bess! Come on, Martha. <laughs> it's kept a little lively. If he could just get out there before his foreman started tearing down that cabin. Whoa, whoa, Martha. Whoa, whoa. Yeah. Well, Robert? Yes, sir? I see you ain't carried out my orders. Well, 
It was Christmas. I I just couldn't tell him. I'll do it today. Oh! This is the last straw. I'm not putting up with your shenanigans any longer, young fellow. Oh, but please, that don't... cabin's coming down and no buts about it. And then... Uh, and then we're building a new ranch house in this place. Big enough for you and your whole family. What? Oh, yes. I'm also doubling your wages as of last week. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Bob. Even if I am a day late. No, not a day. More like half a lifetime. But Merry Christmas anyway. And, and as your son says, God bless everyone. Well, that's the way things worked out, Johnny, more or less. Oh, that's a fine story, Mr. Real fine. I reckon I know why you told it to me. How's that? So as I'd understand about Christmas and how important it is to do for other people instead of just thinking about yourself. Well, no, no, I I didn't have that in mind especially. The story just happened to come into my head, that's all. Well, maybe if I could give Aunt Millie something, a present maybe. What could I do? I don't have no money. Well, of course, there are lots of things don't cost a penny. Not a single red cent, you know. Huh? Well, now, you... Let's see. Take that little spruce over there. I'd be real easy to cut that down with a little fixing and maybe a few doodads from around the house. I, well, I'll bet you can make a Jim Dandy Christmas tree out of there. I suppose so. What good's a tree without something to put under it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean, uh, Johnny, uh, you don't happen to know Jim Bender, do you? In Thompson's Corner and his three daughters? He's only got two, Mr. Sarah and Emily. Oh, that's all. That's all. I, I was spending Christmas with them. I, hmm. Uh, it looks like I'm carrying an extra present. It's a real pretty little red bonnet with feathers on it. I couldn't take it, Mr. Oh, no, no. I, I wasn't thinking of giving it to you, Johnny. I, but I... I was sort of hoping that you'd show me the trail from here on in. Of course, it would mean you're turning around going back home, but if I was to cause you changing your plans, I'd feel obligated to pay you back some way, you know. Well, I... It would be only fair. Trouble is, I haven't got much money, so if you wouldn't mind accepting the bonnet instead, you'd be doing me a real favor, Johnny. I... person waiting for somebody. What are you talking about? Oh, no, no. It wouldn't be fair for me to speak out before Christmas. You know that. You... You don't mean he's got something for me. No, no, no. You mustn't get too curious so early. But... But I thought he didn't like me. I thought he just hated having to live here with... with an old maid. I guess I just don't know nothing about kids. Nothing at all. 
I don't deserve to get... Well, uh, <clears throat> I, uh, I think I'd better get moving along. I'd say goodbye to Johnny for him, will you? And uh, I wonder if you'd uh, give this to him. Hmm? Yeah, the, uh, tell him the little blade on it's kind of dull, but... A pocket knife? Yeah. Now, how did you know? Hold on, man. Oh, God bless you, mister. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Remember now, beginning December 31st, the six-shooter will be on Thursdays instead of Sundays. We hope you'll join us in our new time. The Six-Shooter is an NBC Radio Network production in association with Review Productions. The transcribed story was written by Frank Burt in collaboration with Charles Dickens. Mr. Stewart may soon be seen in the Universal International picture, The Glenn Miller Story. Howard McNear played Scrooge, and special music was by Basil Adlam. The entire production is under the direction of Jack Johnstone. All characters and incidents are fictitious, and any resemblance to actual characters or incidents is purely coincidental. And now, until Thursday the 31st, this is Hal Gibney speaking. Merry Christmas. Tonight, hear Rex Harrison and Anna Lee in the NBC Star Playhouse on the NBC Radio Network. Autolite and its 98,000 dealers bring you Mr. Joseph Cotton in tonight's presentation of Suspense. One hundred years ago this week, a group of brave men risked their lives in a desperate effort to save their fellow men. Tonight, Autolite honors this centennial with a dramatic recreation of their attempted Arctic rescue. Our star, Mr. Joseph Cotton. Hey, Harlow, what's in the package? Ah, the world's best Christmas present hat. Who for whom? My car. It's an Autolite Stay Full battery, the famous battery that needs water only three times a year in normal car use. That sure is a real present. Right, you are happy. The Autolite Stay Full is always a real present for every car and every car owner because money just can't buy a better battery. Why, the Autolite Stay Full has fiberglass retaining mats protecting every positive plate to reduce shedding and flaking and give longer life as proved by tests conducted according to accepted life cycle standards. Where can I find this famous battery, Harlow? Under the hoods of millions of cars and at your Autolite battery dealer. He services all makes of batteries, and you can quickly locate him by looking for the Autolite battery sign or just call Western Union by number... And ask for Operator 25. I'll gladly tell you the name of your nearest Autolite battery dealer where you can get an Autolite staple. The battery that needs water only three times a year in normal car use. And remember, from bumper to tail light, you're always right with Autolite. And now, Autolite presents a dramatic recreation of Arctic Rescue, starring Joseph Cotton, 
hoping once again to keep you in suspense. Picture this if you can. Christmas night. Miles and miles of endless, empty, broken white ice. An ice floe drifting somewhere in the vicinity of the 73rd parallel north of the Arctic Circle. Nothing but ice. That is nearly nothing. If you look carefully through the winter night, you'll see two tiny, dark blemishes. The figures of two men. One twisted in an unconscious heat as our skipper, Jonathan Blake. The other figure, Gerald Stewart, first mate, me. It makes a good, sorry picture. Civilized men in a primitive wilderness of ice waiting helplessly for death. I, a sorry picture. It's a far different picture you'd have seen if you'd been a part of the excited crowd standing at the battery on the New York waterfront on a June morning, the year 1852. The moment of departure? Aye, Lady Franklin, we must take the high tide. May God and his great mercy protect you and your men from the perils which await you. The men are prepared for hardships, Lady Franklin. We shall succeed where the others have failed in ending the mystery of the... Erebus and terror. Aye, and back to Aberdeen in time for a Christmas feast. <laughs> and we'll prepare a Christmas celebration your men will never forget, Captain. We're leaving for England next week. I shall pray for you, Mrs. Stewart. For all of you. Thank you, Miss Craycroft. I'll stand many a watch out at sea thinking of last night. The ball. Dancing and you. Uh, that is... All of us will, I mean. Uh, what my first mate is trying to tell your niece, Lady Franklin, is how grateful the officers and crew are for the farewell ball you held in their honor last night. I'm the grateful one, Captain Blake. Please bring them all home safely. Oh, come now, Lady Franklin, no need for worry. If Jessica's a sturdy ship and the men are in good health and lofty spirits. We'll be back by Christmas, you'll see. Uh, Tidal change. We must be on our way. Then goodbye and good luck, Captain. Bye, Lady Franklin. Miss Craycroft. Goodbye, Captain Blake. Goodbye, Mr. Stewart. Godspeed. Thank you. We shall see you in Aberdeen Christmas week. Let's get aboard, Mr. Stewart. Yes, sir. Bye, Lady Franklin. Darkey. Yes, sir. Drop the gangway. Yes, sir. All hands at their mooring stations, Mr. Stewart. Yes, sir. Then pass the orders to cast off. Aye, sir. All hands. Prepare to cast off. All hands. Prepare to cast off. Let go one and two. Let go one and two. Let go three and four. Let go three and four. Ship's underway, sir. Aye. Well, Mr. Stewart, fill your eyes with the sight of New York. The last of it you'll be seeing for some time to come. Aye. Good long time. I am, sir. As the Jessica moved slowly to the outer harbor, I watched a tiny, delicate white dot in the crowd as it walked. She stood there beside Lady Franklin, waiting. And I watched until the morning fog erased the sight of the New York waterfront.
aside from the ship's log, I have decided to keep a running account of this voyage. This account will be transferred to a watertight jar and thrown into the current, should any sudden disaster occur. The first three weeks of navigating Norfolk were merely a matter of settling down to ship's routine. On June 30th, after officers mass, we sighted Point Farewell on the Greenland coast. The time had come for the captain to read a letter of instructions given to him by Lady Franklin. <coughs> captain Blake, I'm sure you will do all that any man can in discovering the fate of my husband, Sir John Franklin, and his two ships, the Erebus and Terra. But my only fear is that you might sacrifice your lives in the unknown regions of the Arctic. Therefore... Let me state that above all else, the preservation of the lives of you and your heroic companions is more important to me than the purpose of your journey. May God in his great mercy preserve you all from harm amidst the perils which await. Restore you to us safely and in health, as well as honor. Your sincere and attached friend, Jane Franklin. Well, these are the only written instructions I have, gentlemen. Now then, uh, Mr. Stewart, uh, the map, please. Yes, sir. Well, there it is, gentlemen, the most recent admiralty map of the Arctic regions that we are approaching. Aye, it's almost completely blank. Aye, Mr. Halliday, thousands of miles of uncharted wilderness. And somewhere in that frozen tundra, Sir John Franklin and his men vanished. Aye. Our search will begin tomorrow when we drop anchor in Godhab. We'll pick up our ice pilot, Mr. Patrick Hansen, some additional supplies, and then make for the Arctic Circle. Arctic Circle? Sounds like the edge of the world, eh, Stuart? Yeah, a little frightening, too. You frightened? Mr. Holliday, if I were you, I'd respect Mr. Stewart's fear for what lies before us. Captain, I was just thinking, if Franklin was looking for the Northwest Passage, he'd probably make an approach through, uh, here, through Lancaster Sound. Ah. Then he must have passed Pond's Bay, uh, here. And according to our information, there are Eskimos at Pond's Bay... They might have seen his ship sent to Lancaster Sound. If they did, then we'll have something to go by. I hope Mr. Hansen understands the Eskimo dialects. They can tell us much. I don't see how we can cover all this territory and get back by Christmas, Captain. We have no choice, Mr. Stewart. If we get caught beyond the Arctic Circle after the summer months, we may never get back. Never? Aye. In the winter, the seas are covered with great ice floes. Once a ship is frozen in those latitudes... It'll stay there until the summer thaw. You can't imagine the horrors we'd endure in an Arctic winter, Mr. Halliday. I, uh, I suppose not. Franklin and his men were probably frozen in for the winter. And, and they were never heard from again. Exactly. Well, that'll give you a brief idea of what we're in for, gentlemen. We'll know more after Mr. Hansen comes aboard. Any questions? I have nothing but questions, Captain. I wish I had the answers, Stuart. <laughs> Noon the next day, we dropped anchor in the harbor at Gotham. Here we would take on coal, additional winter clothing, dogs, and Eskimo drivers, and Mr. Hansen, our ice pilot. Gotham was nothing more than a few huts of the Baffin Bay Trading Company, and as we prepared to go ashore, a longboat suddenly appeared alongside. Captain Blake? Aye. I'm Patrick Hansen, your ice pilot, sir. We were about to send a boat ashore for you, Mr. Hansen. No time for that, Captain. But uh, we planned on picking up supplies and dogs. I brought them. They're in the boat. Well, what's the rush, Mr. Hanson? Oh, this is Gerald Stewart, my first mate. You've never been in the Arctic before, Mr. Stewart? No. Take my word for it. 
You better get up there while we got the summer weather, you bet. All right, so we run into a little summer ice. The Jessica's prepared for that. Yeah, he looks like good, strong ship. Hey. You've never seen iron ship up here before. Steam engine, too. <laughs> That's not all that Jessica has. There's additional iron plates across her hull, as well as added bracing for a chip in the far ten feet of the bow is solid iron and razor sharp at the edge. What do you think that'll do to your ice, Mr. Hanson? You wait and you see what the ice can do to a ship. Even an iron ship, Mr. Stewart. Uh, uh, Mr. Hanson, you received my letters. Yeah. And you made inquiries about the Erebus and Terra? Yeah, they was here. They couldn't get dogs, so they headed for Pond Bay. Across Baffin Bay? That's right. Ah, just as we thought. Mr. Halliday. Aye, sir. Get those supplies aboard, then prepare the ship to sea. Right away, sir. At once. Steward. Yes, sir. You can chart a course for us. We'll cross the Arctic Circle next and on to Ponds Bay. We set it north by northwest course, leaving the last outpost of civilization behind us and crossed the Great Baffin Bay. On July 4th, we crossed the Arctic Circle without ceremony. Then we had ice freezing on deck in the rigging. A day later, we saw our first floating iceberg. For this time of year, we should not have seen either one. From Gadab to Ponce, six and a half days, perfect calm. Upon landing, we found a small contingent of Eskimos, but nothing else. They seemed hostile and would give us no information. Then, as we were preparing to return to the Jessica, one of the natives, a girl, rushed from one of the huts and down to the beach. Oh, what's she saying, Miss Anne? I'm not sure. Oh, Captain, look. She has something in her hand. She wants us to look at it. A small brass button. From a naval uniform. Aye. See if she'll trade it for some sewing needles. Ose. Galaga. What does she mean by that? Ose. Yosef. She's trying to say man's name. Ose. Galaga. Joseph Galaga? Steward, is that name on Sir John's crew list? I'm uh, looking for it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. it's here. Quartermaster Joseph Gallagher. They've been here. Aye. Uh, better get back to the ship, man. Looks like a gale brewing. Okay. Oh, uh, let her keep the button, Steward. Uh, give her the needles, too. Yes, sir. After leaving Pond's Bay, two months passed without incident. Then we entered Lancaster Sound and approached the scarcely charted islands along Barrow Strait. There we, we encountered great mountains of floating ice. And we had only a few hours of twilight each day. We crossed the 75th parallel and north into Wellington Channel to Bathurst Island, the last of the charted islands on my map. Then on September 10th, weather changed. Northwest gales, sleet, and heavy fogs that forced us to a bare crawl, and even worse, mammoth ice flows that closed in all around us. Oh, Mr. Stewart. Yes, sir. Keep an eye on the temperature. I am, sir. Ice! Ice! Get ahead! Quartermaster, starboard six degrees. Sleet, you've been getting smaller all the time. Captain, the temperature is still dropping. Ten above zero. What do you think of this lead, Hanson? I think maybe they better back out of here. Back out? Take a look astern, Hanson. Back out where? Captain. Oh, what is it, Alder? The rudder will not respond. 
Six below, sir. Aye, stay ahead! The lead is getting smaller, Captain. Aye, aye. Well, the Arctic seems to be closing down on us on all counts. The walls of the lead moved in closer until a man could jump to the ice from either side of the ship. And then the Jessica was cutting through the ice, making her own lead, but slowly we lost speed. Finally, the ship gave up to the ice. He's frozen in, though. Aye. Stop engines, Mr. Stewart. Yes, sir. Well, Captain Blake, looks like they can forget about looking for Sir John Franklin in his ships. Now that we've frozen in, we're going to have to look out for our own lives, you bet. Bringing you Mr. Joseph Cotton in Arctic Rescue. Tonight's presentation in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. It was the night before Christmas, and outside the door, a man was trying his starter once more. But try as he would, the car wouldn't go, for the battery was dead. Out of water, you know. That man should have had an auto light stay full battery, Harlow. <laughs> right you are, Hap. There's the battery that needs water only three times a year in normal car use. Because the auto light stay full has over three times the liquid reserve of batteries without stay full features. And in addition, it has fiberglass retaining mats protecting every positive plate to reduce shedding and flaking and give longer life, as proved by tests conducted according to accepted life cycle standards. Money just can't buy a better battery. So, friends, see your nearest Autolite battery dealer. He services all makes of batteries, and he has an Autolite stay full for your car if a replacement is needed. Just call Western Union by number and ask for Operator 25. And I'll tell you where you can get an Autolite stay full battery, the battery that needs water only three times a year. In normal car use. And remember, from bumper to tail light, you're always right with Autolite. And now, Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage Mr. Joseph Cotton in Elliot Lewis's production of Arctic Rescue, a true story well calculated to keep you in suspense. September 10th, 1852. Unless a miracle occurred, we were frozen in the Arctic for the rest of the winter months. A sea of ice surrounded us, and the ship took on a starboard list from the pressure of the flow. Rations were cut in food, water, and coal consumption. Furious gales came and went, and there were more freezing temperatures, often as low as 35 below. The doctor was a busy man. Nearly all hands suffered from frostbite, many from gangrene. Conditions aboard the Jessica were deplorable. I thought they couldn't get worse. October came, November. December, and we thought of home in the holidays and of Lady Franklin and Miss Craycroft sitting alone at the Christmas feast that was to be held in our honor. 
On Christmas Day, the cook outdid himself. We had a feast aboard the Jessica on the last of the salt pork and beef. And with the last of the allsop sale and minced meat, the cook made pies. And we had us a celebration, Christmas Day, 1852. Men, men, the captain has a word to say. I, uh, dropped below to offer you my greetings on this holiday and to wish you a much happier Christmas next year. Christmas Eve, 1853, one year later. We're still frozen in. Summer came and passed without an appreciable rise in temperature, and the ice failed to break up. Men living on pemmican occasionally ate bear meat and seal blubber. No more lime juice, this means scurvy. The year also saw the loss of 11 men, the doctor and the ice pilot Hanson among them. Two in a chase for the polar bear, three from scurvy, and the rest from gangrene. Most of the men have frostbite. Our second Christmas in the Arctic. The flow that holds the ship is drifting south down Peel Sound. We saw the shores of King William's Island. The captain sent Halliday and three men on sledge to look for food depots or rock cairn, anything. They returned today. Where'd you find it, Halliday? In a cairn. We also found empty pemmican cans and bits of ship's timber. Sure. Listen to this. It was written by Franklin himself. 1851, latitude 69 degrees, longitude 98 degrees west. HMS Terror sank when ice broke. Erebus still frozen in. Beset since April 12, 1850. We are deserting the Erebus. Attempting overland march to Baxfish River, to Hudson's Bay. If unheard from when this found, we must be considered lost. Sir John Franklin, Captain HMS Erebus. We found what we came for. Aye. They're all dead. Aye. If something doesn't happen pretty soon, we'll be dead too. Makes for a very merry Christmas, Captain. Captain. I heard. It's the ice. Breaking. How long do you think our iron plates will last against this, Captain? Great cracks opened in the ice, and then out of the water through the openings, another great mountain of ice would rise. Great slabs of surface, a hundred yards wide, shattered, upended, and sank into the churning water. All around us, great jagged fingers of ice crashed up. Oh, hands abandoned! Stewart, get your tops. We're going out on the ice, too. Yes, sir. I could feel the ship jarring loose under me, and suddenly the Jessica wrenched sharply, throwing me across the deck. The last sound in my ears was that of the Jessica carried loose from the ice. Slowly, I became aware of pain in my leg, then of movement. I opened my eyes. The captain was helping me to walk. I looked into the 
winter darkness for the familiar sight of the Jessica, I saw nothing. Nothing but ice. Skipper. Huh? No feeling better, lad? What about the ship? Gone down. And the, the rest of the men? I, I don't know. Gone. The flow separated. Most of them were on the other side. Where? Where are we walking to? I don't know. I don't know. We walked on and on, climbing jagged hubbocks of ice and falling through thin spots. Legs got wet, froze. We, we beat, beat the ice off and we, we kept walking. Walking in circles through the Arctic night. Endless circles. We'll rest a bit. Ah, rest. Sleep a bit in the ice. Warm, comforting ice. No, don't, don't, don't sleep. My eyes grew heavy. I craved sleep. But to sleep was to die. I was ready. In the sky over the horizon, a star. The night was overcast. There were no other stars, just just one. Bright in the distance, I could see it. I, I, I stood. It was still there. A bright star over the horizon. Captain. Uh, on your feet, Captain. Uh, We're going to keep walking. Walking. Where? Uh, that way toward that... That star. We walked on. Slowly. I carried the skipper. Unconscious now. What... Oh, what could it be? There are no lights in the Arctic. No stars through the overcast. But we... Moving, and the star came closer. I couldn't believe what suddenly appeared. Through the darkness directly beneath the star was the vague outline of a ship. A ship. Mates! Mates, help! Help me! Coming out of it. Stuart. Uh, Stuart. The ship. I saw. Starkey. Halliday. I. In the flesh. I, I saw a ship. I know. You're on it. See? But. Where did. Did it come from? Not the Jessica. I know. That's the Erebus. One of Franklin's ship. The one they deserted. Erebus. Where did it come from? Well, there we were. All of us. Except you and the captain lying on that flue. After the Jessica went down, ready to die just as we thought you had. And then just as graceful as you please, we see a ship drifting slowly out of the fog through the broken ice. Right to us. But the captain, I left him out on the ice. It's all right. We brought him aboard, and pretty soon we'll be on our way home. Oh. Aye. The ice is open. We can get out. 
The Erebus will take us back. Now, how's that for a Christmas surprise? I followed a star. What? He's sleeping. What was that he said? He followed the star? Aye. He must have seen that lantern we hung from the mainmast. Mistook it for a star. Oh. Uh, saved his life. Come, the captain. <laughs> well, being that it's still Christmas, I guess you could call it a uh, miracle, eh, Starkey? Aye. I guess you could at that, sir. Suspense. Presented by Autolite. Tonight's star, Mr. Joseph Cotton. This is Harlow Wilcox speaking for Autolite, world's largest independent manufacturer of automotive electrical equipment. Autolite is proud to serve the greatest names in the industry. They are members of the Autolite family, as well as are the 98,000 Autolite distributors and dealers in the United States and thousands more in Canada and throughout the world. Our family also includes the nearly 30,000 men and women in 28 great Autolite plants from coast to coast and Autolite plants in many foreign countries, as well as the 18,000 people who have invested a portion of their savings in Autolite. Every Autolite product is backed by constant research and precision built to the highest standards of quality and performance. So remember, from bumper to tail light, you're always right with Autolite. Next week, a story from your morning newspaper. The dramatic expose of narcotics peddling among teenagers, as reported in Melody in Dreams. Our star, Mr. John Lund. That's next week on Suspense. Suspense is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis, with music composed by Lucian Morrowick and conducted by Lutt Luskin. Arctic Rescue was written for Suspense by Gus C. Bays. Featured in tonight's cast were Joseph Kearns, Norma Varden, Lillian Bayeth, Fred Mackay, Barney Phillips, Clayton Post, and Ben Wright. Joseph Cotton can currently be seen in the Burt Freed Loeb production, The Steel Trap, a 20th Century Fox release. Remember next week, John Lund in Melody in Dreams. Eight million Americans are suffering from arthritis or rheumatism. Recent medical discoveries have given these people hope of cure from this crippling disease. You can help make this hope a reality by mailing a contribution to Arthritis, care of your local postmaster. Friends, on behalf of the entire Autolite family and all of us on suspense, this is Harlow Wilcox wishing all of you a very Merry Christmas. Good night. This is the CBS Radio Network. That's the Relic Radio Show for this week. I hope you enjoyed our selections this time. You can find more from The Six Shooter, more from Suspense, past episodes of this podcast, all the others, 
our shoutcast stream, and everything else Relic Radio, all at the website relicradio.com. Don't forget, you can donate to help support this and all of the shows at donate.relicradio.com or click on one of the links on the site. Thank you, as always, to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me today. Be back next Tuesday with another episode of the Relic Radio Show.